0: We're in the middle of a series on wisdom, we did about four weeks on it, and took a break over Easter to do some more <coughs> Easter theme related stuff, um, um, and now we're back into the, into the, into the uh, series on wisdom, and um, I want to just make something clear before we even get into it, when we talk about wisdom, it's not self-help, We're not talking about, it's not just, yeah, you know, make a few adjustments and life will be better, or you know, I don't know, ten steps to success. It's it's not that. And it's important to say, because I, my observation would be that a lot of um, material you find in bookshops, even Christian bookshops, sometimes specifically Christian bookshops, you look at it and it seems really to be just thinly disguised self-help. It's like self-help, but just get a bit of Jesus in, you know. And um, this is not that. This is something very, very different from that. It's not... It's not Jesus wants to be your friend and make your life uh, better than it already is. It's, it's not that. Um, although he wants to be your friend. <laughs> and although life is better with Jesus. That's not the heart of the message. Um, it's, not, it's not Jesus wants to make you the best you you can possibly be. You know? It's not that. That's, that's a different thing. It's not uh, what I would describe as the Disney gospel. Which is Jesus really believes in you, you know, and wants to wants to come into your life just so to help you realize you can do it. No, it's not that, all right. That's not the gospel. Um, these are thi- this is just kind of how the world thinks. But just get a bit of Jesus in, make, make get it a bit religious. It, it's not that. Um, we've got to guard against it because otherwise everything just gets kind of Christianized without having a the gospel at its heart, and it actually becomes unhelpful. So, for example, you know some of the um, some of the a- musical albums are around if you sort of open the CDs and read the sleeves and, and it's very interesting because some of the content in some of these albums um, would be highly questionable in terms of biblical morality um, and yet Jesus gets the glory for the album it's amazing you know? so the artist gives first of all thanks to, thanks to the Lord oh, sorry Bob I will do American accent at this point I'm sorry Bob alright I'm not sorry Bob I don't know why I just kick into America at this point but big thanks to the Lord for, 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 blessing this work, you know, You're and, an <laughs> I tried to burp while you were laughing, but I didn't <laughs> So, Okay. So it's kind of like, okay, let's kick back on track. So it's kind of like so I want to thank the Lord who, who blessed me and blessed the album and bless no, he didn't. He didn't bless it. Now he blessed you with an amazing voice. That's his common grace. Okay? The Lord causes the sun to shine on the righteous, the unrighteous, the rains to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay? But when you were singing about sleeping with multiple people and that kind of stuff or when you were uh, idolizing another human being he wasn't blessing that okay he didn't inspire that and he's not for that so you've just got to be discerning and particularly looking at wisdom we've got to make sure we don't just get in loads of goofy kind of worldly kind of just like you can do it you know and say with Jesus and make it a Christian thing that is not what the Bible teaches that's not what we believe So wisdom, biblically speaking, is founded on the fear of the Lord. So at its very heart there is a deep reverence for the Lord. A sense of significant esteem and trembling and genuine awe to the Lord. Which means you don't just do what you do and then just pull him in and name him to bless it. But you say, Lord, what would you have me do? So it's a different attitude. And true wisdom is, is Christ intoxicated. It's, it's all about Jesus because the Bible says it's the Father's will that the Son has the preeminence in all things. So it's about Jesus getting the first place. It just, it's all about Jesus. That's the kind of wisdom that we're going to be uh, going after in this series. Okay, I want to make that clear at the start. Now we've looked at various things. We've looked at sexual purity. We've looked at friendship. We've looked at relating to parents. Today's anger. We want to look at anger um, and try and get our heads around that biblically and come to terms with what the Bible teaches on anger. Um, it's important because all anger is destructive. All anger, righteous anger and unrighteous anger, good anger and bad anger is all destructive it destroys it subtracts when it comes into a situation it subtracts from it it removes something okay now with anything destructive you have to be very very careful because if you if you misaim it or it's mistimed or it misfires in some way you cause horrendous unnecessary ungodly damage and destruction which is obviously bad news. And so we've got to watch it with anger, because if you're a few millimetres out, you could be in trouble. It's a bit like a wrecking ball. The demolishers use a wrecking ball, and you've got to aim it at the right house. <laughs> you know? You've got to aim it at the right house, otherwise you know, it's, all, it's, it's bad. And anger is, like, anger is an incredibly powerful thing. Um, so I want us to just really get into this and, and understand this, because we've got to get our heads around this whole idea of um, godly destructiveness. It sounds kind of weird, you know, but we want to understand that today. It's very, very important. I, uh, as a labourer, for about a year, worked on. We we did a job in Mayfair, and it was uh, we had to go into these offices in Mayfair. It was quite a significant, probably I know five, six times as big as this room. But it was previously cordoned off into lots of different offices. They wanted to make it open plan. So our job was to go in and just basically destroy the place. because it was such a posh area, they wouldn't have one of those tubes. Now those tubes they set up kind of looks like dustbins interlocked that goes down to a skip. And everything, a chute, everything goes down there. They wouldn't let us have that out the front. It just would bring the area down. So us, the laborers, we had to carry everything we knocked down, down the back way, around this um, fire staircase, another one's made of raw iron, down five floors, and then along and out into a skip. Now this, I'm, I'm talking carrying walls. So what we had to do, so the whole job was basically destroying walls, putting them into these buckets, these huge plastic buckets like this, with these rope handles, and you'd have to lift it up one, this one outside, and you go down, down and back up. You do it all day long. It was, it was, I mean, people were dropping like flies. One guy trod on a nail, and uh, we never saw him again. Uh, <laughs> seriously, another guy, Portuguese fellow, about five foot tall. So it was tricky carrying the bucket with him anyway, because it was all sort of the angles. We were all wrong. And uh, he, uh, he'd done his leg. He'd done his leg, but he refused to stop working. So not only w- w- was it interesting with the angle, he would kind of hop down this <laughs> corrugated iron staircase. It was an amazing guy. He just soldiered on. Another guy developed arthritis in his fingers through the job, through gripping this thing all day. He would wake up in the morning, he couldn't open his hands. Young man, 20 or so. It was, a, it, it was, it was serious stuff. But the whole idea was destroy Okay? Now at this point you wanted the right people on the job, because you had the wrong people on the job, you're in trouble. There was one guy on the job who was the wrong guy for the job. Straight out of the army, I've never met anyone as reckless in my life. He would throw bricks out of the window out of the front and laugh. So there'd be an open window, and throw it out. And they go, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was scary. It was very scary. And at times he had the sledgehammer, and at times <laughs> He, and you, just, you stayed well away from the guy he was, he was a nightmare to be around now the reason I tell you this is because it's funny the story except for that guy but the rest of it is funny but here's the thing I want you to understand when it comes to being destructive you have to be very very careful because like I say you see you get it wrong you end up destroying a person you end up destroying someone who's been made in the image of God that is bad And the Bible gives us some very strong warnings on this. I want to just quickly just list a few scriptures on slide one here. Just to help you understand, the Bible's got some things to say about ungodly anger. Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry, okay, so there's permission there, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So don't store it up in you. Trouble will be ahead if you do. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exhorts folly. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention this one is massive know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God let me say this domestically every time I've come under the anger of man what I mean by that is, is I, just through impatience or whatever I've expressed anger to either diviner or the children it has never produced anything good even if at the time I felt really justified and I just thought, you know what, I've had it with this. And I've, I've always had to go back and apologise and go back and repent. I can testify to you, not that you need my testimony about the Bible, but I will testify this is true. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I grew up around anger. I grew up around violent, unrestrained anger. And I've got some, some observations I can make as a result of that. And it's this, is that those who are the victims of that, those who live under that, Uh, very often um, develop what I would say social paralysis or even arrested development and what I mean by that is this is that they are left um, smaller more cautious and more timid versions of what God intended them to be they've been squashed and oppressed and crippled by being uh, really at the wrong end of someone's ungodly anger some are so traumatised, they never take a risk again. Because when they used to take risks, whenever they made mistakes, they would be at the end of someone's ungodly anger. As a result, they associate making mistakes with that. They never take risks. They become incredibly cautious people. You would be around them, anything that looks like a slight risk, they freak out. Why? Underneath, they are, they are paralysed with fear. They, don't want to, they can't have that again. They are traumatised by what they've experienced. Anger is a powder cake. It's TNT. I will say this. Use with care. Why do we get angry? I've got some reasons here. Maybe you can relate to one or two of them. Our hopes or our dreams get threatened. Those things that are so dear to us, suddenly they look under threat. Uh, is it going to happen, isn't it? And we can freak out. We're inconvenienced. We're there in the traffic and it's like, that man has not moved and that light has been green for at least 1.5 seconds. Now he's starting to ruin my day. You know? And you see, you see people freaking, don't you, on this inconvenience of some sort. That cashier spoke to that customer. If they hadn't spoken to that customer, I could have been there by now. They said, how was your day? How was your day? Come on. You've been inconvenienced. It's London living. Impatience. You just think, why don't you get that the way I get it? Why can't you understand that? Can't you see that? We're embarrassed. Someone maybe humiliates us or says something and uh, we get embarrassed and we think, oh, anger builds up. Loss of control. Circumstances that we thought we had under control, we never do, but we sometimes feel like we do. Suddenly we become aware. Oh man, the grades aren't what we expected. That we, You know, or uh, uh, and suddenly our plans are looking and we're out of control. That can produce anger. If we get hurt by someone, someone's words... Unforgiveness, resentment, and we often express it either rashly, harmfully, without thought, knee-jerk, self-righteously, vengefully, explosively, silently. You can express your anger silently. Where you just hold yourself back from that person very obviously. You give off pure coldness. Anger. Now, what's going on here? In a nutshell, it's idolatry. Our hearts are filled with many idols very often. Money, things that we worship. Money, self, control, comfort. And these demigods are cruel masters. And if they're threatened, then uncontrollable anger is a common response. In a nutshell, we haven't either grasped the gospel properly... Or the gospel has not penetrated sufficiently to those parts of our heart and our mind that it needs to. Which brings me on to looking at the anger of God. Good anger. And the gospel. Okay? I want us to look at the gospel today and grasp, and by God's grace, the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of our heart so that we see it again as the medicine for our ungodly anger. If you've got a Bible with you and you could turn to Matthew chapter 21, the words will come up on the screen, but if you've got a Bible with you, it's always good to just learn to finger your way through and become familiar with it and find out what's where. My observation is is that many Christians don't read their Bibles very regularly, and so the more we can just get used to delving in, the better. Matthew 21, and we'll go from verse 12, as it says up there. Excuse me. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It's written, My house shall be called a house of prayer you make it a den of robbers and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple Hosanna to the son of David they were indignant and they said to him do you hear what these are saying and Jesus said to them yes have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise and then, if you go to John 2 verses 14 to 17 it's the same incident but there's something John refers to here that Matthew doesn't. And it's very, very important when looking at anger. Very important. So we're going to go from verse 14 to 17 there. Um, in the temple we found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away not make my father's house a house of trade his disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your house will consume me now what's going on here here's what's going on in those days the temple was a place where you met God the reason why we can rock up to the upper rooms and meet God is not because kind of, you know God's just a bit more relaxed about it these days it's not that at all here's what it is through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross the new covenant has begun, okay, which means that the temple in Jerusalem is no longer the place of God's dwelling, but the hearts of God's people and the, the, themselves become the very temples of God, and so when those temples gather together as living stones gathering together, they become the temple of God. Right. So the reason we can meet with God is because we are the temples of God now, it's a new covenant, it's glory, glory, okay, but in those days, this was before the death of Christ, so the temple was a place where you would go and worship God. Therefore, it was a holy place. It was a place of worship, a place of glory, um, a place that was set apart and different. And what had happened was, people have made it very, very similar to the outside. Now, it might have looked spiritual. We're going to sell you doves and things so you can offer them as offerings. But at its heart, it was commerce. It was trade. It was about making a quick buck what I was referring to earlier things can appear spiritual and Christian but at at their heart they're just the same as everything else okay so so Jesus so, so that's what's coming on there Jesus comes in and notices man what's going on here and Jesus deals with it. Now, I want to point some things out from this story. First, I want to help you understand how this story is like a microcosm of the gospel as a whole. Here's what I mean. Originally, God made uh, Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden. He said, you cultivate it, make it a beautiful place. Now, the Garden of Eden was a place where Adam and Eve met God. God would come down, we're told, in the cool of the day, to walk with them. So it was a place of fellowship with God, a place of worship, a place that had been beautified, a place that was cultivated. It was a temple. Now what was their commission? Their commission was go into all the world and multiply and basically cultivate, steward it. And as you are made in the image of God and you go into all the world, you bring in the presence of God. You see? And so the whole idea is is that God started with a disordered world but with a cultivated garden that was a temple. And he says now go and make this whole planet a cultivated garden that will be a temple for my glory. That is God's plan. Now just like in this temple in Jerusalem, really the world had gotten and darkness had gotten and it had been corrupted. Likewise in the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, through the, through the fall, corruption, sin, darkness, death. Satan becomes the, the prince of this world, if you like. In, in one sense is a usurper who is a really uh, influencing in a key way. Just like Jesus comes in and expresses godly anger and drives out the darkness... To the gospel God comes and expresses his righteous anger and aims it all ironically shockingly absurdly it seems at his perfect son on the cross but the reason he does that is so that we don't have to bear the brunt of it which we could not handle which would destroy us forever so instead Jesus in his body takes the whole of the sins of the world so God's anger aimed on Jesus clears out darkness clears out Satan that's why Jesus says the rule of this age has been cast out just before he goes to the cross. He said it's about to happen through what I'm going to do. You see, he clears it out. And then what we see in the uh, afterwards, we see beauty. We see the, the the blind and the lame coming in and Jesus healing them. We see children worshipping and singing praise. And it's about restoration. We've got healing coming, the kingdom coming. We've got different ages there together, worshipping. And God's plan through the gospel is that his whole earth, his whole world will be restored to glory. will become that temple as everyone gathers together under Jesus Christ. as their Lord, the kingdom will come. You see? So it's a picture of the gospel. That's how it really works. But I want to draw some things to your attention through this just to help us understand some stuff. Firstly, notice the destruction. See it. Remember I said all anger is destructive. After Jesus had cleared the temple, if you look at the whole situation, it was minus something that was there before. It was less. Okay? The anger reduced the situation the anger brought destruction which subtracted from the whole mix the doves, the, the, the salesmen you know, the tables were driven out it was a necessary destructiveness, why? so that the space it left could be filled with glory that's how it works so notice that notice that Jesus' anger was terrifying and effective you don't read about Bill the dove seller who stood up to Jesus do you? it's just not in there You know, there's no, oh, Jesus was driving through, but then Bill, and no one missed with Bill, you know, oh who do you think you're doing, you know, and it kicked off. No, you don't hear anything. Why not? Because Jesus' wrath was so terrifying and effective that it just really drove out everything in his way. It's important to understand that. The wrath of God is not to be trifled with. It really isn't. In fact, in Revelation 6, we're told about the return of Christ and we're told that the great ones of the earth, captains and generals and rulers, began to hide themselves in caves and call out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, because they didn't want to face the wrath of the Lamb. It's very weighty stuff. Notice something else. This is very, very important. This is why I introduced the John section. Jesus took time to make a whip. Point being, it wasn't an outburst. It wasn't rash. He didn't lose his temper. This is very, very important. So, when we talk about the wrath of God, people sometimes get freaked out. They're like, any minute, God just might decide to like zap me. No. He is slow to anger. He's not rash. He's not, he's not just kind of like, it's not like you and me when we lose our tempers, right? That's your understanding of the wrath of God. You need to rethink that. God's wrath is not like that, He's patient. He's patient. In fact, the, you know the Bible says even when people mock and say, "Oh, Jesus is meant to be coming back," he's they well look, you know, he's two thousand years on. You know, where is he? Paul Peter says he's not slow. He's patient, very, very patient. So notice Jesus said, "I'm going to go and make a whip." So he's making the whip. What's he doing? I imagine he's thinking this through. He's before God. He's before the Father, and he's like, "Yeah, this is the right course of action." Now it's it, there is a sense in which it's explosive. Absolutely, he's not English about it, is he? Not, excuse me, chaps. Been a mix up, you know. <laughs> Shops out there, temple in here. It's not like that. He turns the tables over. And it's not like, you know, it's, not, it's like, it's not that. He drives them out. So there is something of a passion and a zeal and an explosiveness, but it's not an outburst. It's not rash. He's thought it through. Notice also this that really the only the key actor in the story is Jesus. And as a result of Jesus's actions, the whole order is changed around and the kingdom comes. And I want to just draw on that quickly to help you understand how this can help you with your anger. Firstly, the gospel is God's action. Please understand that. If you understand that Christianity is something you do for Jesus, we need to go back to the drawing board, we just need to help you there to undo that way of thinking. It's unhelpful. You maybe listen to some teaching that's just bad you've got it wrong no Christianity is all about what God has done what God has done and what he invites you into his action his redeeming action his redeeming work this is the gospel this is Christianity Jesus has acted decisively God in Christ has acted decisively God in Christ has reconciled all things to himself it's been done it's been done. And I want to just draw out a scripture that's going to really help you here. Hopefully, it will be a tonic to your soul. Hopefully, those of, you that, those of you that are believers, that you know the Lord, it will really just help you to know the grace of God in the gospel. Look at this beautiful scripture, the last slide. If we could have it up, Ollie. The writer to the Hebrews has been talking about animal offerings that the Jews have to make year after year and all of this. And then referring to Jesus, he says this For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now I want to just unpack this for you because it's glorious. For by a single offering, what offering is this? Jesus' offering of himself. So we're talking about the cross here. This is a statement about the cross. By the cross, he, that's Jesus, he's done something. What has he done? He has perfected for all time, past Present, future, perfected. What does that mean? You know what it means? Perfected. That's what it means. All right? Okay? For all time, who? Those who are being sanctified. Now, what is this saying? It's saying this. If you are being sanctified, how do you know if you're being sanctified? Okay? Let's just do a little kind of help you understand. Can you look at your life and say, as I look at my life over the last few weeks, months, years, there is a direction to my life whereby I know the Spirit of God is at work in me and He is making me more like Jesus. I know that God is bringing freedom where there was captivity to certain sins. He's bringing uh, a greater understanding, and a greater clarity, and love for Jesus, and understanding of of His work in the gospel for me. He's bringing a greater love for Himself and for and for Christian brothers and sisters, and for the lost. That, you can see that's happening in my life now. For some of you, you might say, absolutely, and it's happening. You're in the fast lane, okay? Others <laughs> of you might say, you know what? I was on the hard shoulder for a while back there. You know, I'm back in this. But i um, yeah, that's happening. If that's you, you're being sanctified. That doesn't happen naturally. If that's you, you're God is. Is working in you miraculously to make you more like Jesus. That you're you know, you in the kingdom. You're a saint. You're a believer. Okay? So if that's you, what does the Bible say? That by Jesus offering on the cross, he has perfected you for all time. As far as God is concerned, when he looks at you, you are perfect. For all time. Past, present, future. What that means is this. God doesn't say, when you sort this out, then, then you're in. Then I'll accept you. When you just... Because this one's been going on a while now. Will you overcome that? Then we're rolling. No. It doesn't say that. By one offering. Sins, past, present, future, forgiven. At this point you say, hold on a minute. Sins, future, forgiven? Hold on. What are we saying here? Well, let me just put something to you which I think you might have found slightly compelling. And it's this. When did Jesus die? Around about 34 AD? Okay. Now, do you believe that your, your past sins were dealt with by the cross? Okay. I've got news for you. If it is the cross that has perfected you, because you was born about nineteen something, all your sins are future sins. Do you get that? All of your sins are future sins. You can say, well, "I know Jesus given my sins of the past, but the future. Well, you know, I could do this. <coughs> what then? The Bible says, by one offering, it happened then. It happened then." That's when it happened. The Bible says you were crucified with Christ. That's when it happened. Now I know in your experience it might have happened when you were 3, 4, 15, 20. I know that. But that's when it happened. By one offering. He's perfected for all time. Past, present, future. Those who are being sanctified. God looks at you and sees you as perfect. Hallelujah. 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 Now. You might say, but doesn't, surely God sort of corrects us and disciplines us and all that sort of... You know, in that sense, surely, does he seem as perfect? Well, I know there's a slight element to it whereby what he says is this. What he says is, in order for God to have you in his presence, you must be perfect. So he hides you in Christ and accepts you in the beloved in Christ. So you're completely hidden in him. So it's Christ's righteousness that is given to you as a gift. So therefore God can complete, completely accepts you, could not accept you more than he ever will. Okay? At the same time, he says, do you know what? Now... This perfect, this perfect you that I see I actually want to make you like that in your day to day experience so let's do some sanctifying ok but it doesn't hold up your security and the balance you're in you're accepted let's work together now I want to make you into in actually your real experience what I've made you in Christ this is the gospel this is the good news now how does this help us in our anger well if you get the grace of God if you get that how on earth can you hold on to bitterness Unforgiveness, vengeance, ungodly anger. If you have been forgiven from your sins completely, entirely by the grace of God, how on earth can you hold someone else to ransom for their sins? How else can you judge someone? How else can you speak about someone as if they are somehow different from you or worse from you? You have lost the plot. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand. You do not understand the message. You do not understand how sinful you are. You've put yourself in a different class to those you look down on. You've put yourself, you say, Well, yeah, Jesus saved me, but this person that you don't understand the message. The message is this you are vile, more vile than you have ever dared believe. But you are so dearly loved. So dearly loved. That God in Christ has forgiven you, has reconciled you, has adopted you. That is the gospel. And the moment you look on any other human being and put them in a different category from yourself, I tell you, I question your salvation. I question whether you understand the gospel at all. If you're one of those people that would stand outside a court with a, a, a outside you know, the old baby with a stone in your hand, ready to, ready to stone the pedophile, I question your salvation. You don't understand who you are and what has happened to you. Deep in your heart, you think you earned it. Deep in your heart, you think you contributed something to your salvation. You need to see the truth so you can repent of that and receive mercy and grace. You need to say, God, open the eyes of my heart to see the depths of my sin and the depths of your grace. Secondly, there's a new order. Through this gospel, there's a new order, which means this, you get freed, you get set free from that mentality which says, it's about me. <coughs> it's about my plan, my agenda, my priorities, my comforts. This is liberating, because when those things fall through, which they always do one way or another, that's when the anger comes. But you say, do you know what, I'm no longer going to make those things primary, They can be secondary. You know, I'm not saying sleep on a bed of nails. (laughs) Comfort, it's fine. But it's got to be secondary. It's all about Jesus now. And then when things go wrong, you can handle it. (laughs) Okay? I remember driving on holiday with my family just the other week. Needed a break. (laughs) We needed a break. Going to Cornwall. We didn't need the car to die in Devon. We really didn't. But it did. (laughs) (laughs) wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't part of the plan that I had the cheapest AA membership, <laughs> which means they would take me to a garage, which I know what the garage is going to say, this thing's kaput, and then I'm left at a garage with a family of five. It wasn't part of the plan. But these things happen, don't they? <laughs> it's life. It's life. You're, at, th- at that point in your heart, ho- you're holding on to this holiday's the make or break. You're, you're in trouble, man. You're in big trouble. See, you've got to say, man alive, this isn't part of the plan. What are we going to do? Let's find a good play park. (laughs) Thank God we broke down in a town and not on the motorway, you know? You're just grateful for... You know, it's important. It's not about... It's not about... It's self-importance. It gets reordered through the gospel. Hallelujah. It's liberating. It's actually very, very liberating. (laughs) It's not about me anymore. So, ongoing battle. You know, I'm not saying we were perfect in it. I'm sure we, you know... Yeah, but you know what I'm saying... At his heart, the gospel liberates you from being a slave to that stuff. Praise God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. So as we grasp it, so we get, so we, get this, so we got this bad anger, which we can all relate with. God, deliver us from that. The gospel does so. Okay, now, final point. How do we get to express good anger? We're going to end on this. Um, what would righteous anger in our lives look like? I think it would be about, it would look like clearing out things that get in the way of the kingdom. Okay, remember, it's always destructive. Okay, so it's about... It's about hitting some stuff that would clear the way for the kingdom to come. William Wilberforce. So, the man who campaigned for the British law to be changed on slavery, there's a man who was angry. Okay? How did he express it? It it, it wasn't sort of, he didn't fall out of his pram and start whacking the floor, you know, it wasn't like that. How did he express it? He campaigned doggedly, patiently, persistently, graciously, truthfully for decades till the law changed. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Angry at racial oppression in the United States of America. Gave his life for the cause. But there's an anger there that drove him along with love. Don't see anger and love as different things. No, in God they combine. As we get God's heart and are redeemed in Christ, these things combine together. It's the redemption of anger. We get redeemed from petty, rash, irrational, selfish anger. We get redeemed into righteous, culture-transforming anger. Or anger without sin. It's very, very important for three reasons. We're called to be a voice. Just before Jesus came, John the Baptist came before him. Why? To clear the way. So I'm just a voice, I'm clearing the way, I'm smoothing the road, so make your way for Jesus. Church, we're called to do that, to, to be a voice, to speak up, to clear the way for the kingdom. Okay? it's very important so we can speak up um, at home it, it, things are out of order in your home just, you, okay, we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to work this through we can't avoid it it's like, no it's wrong it's, 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 it's all topsy-turvy there's control going on there's stuff going on. We've, got to, we've got to work this through or in the workplace you know? a great testimony this morning Matt gave a testimony in, in, the, in the workplace where just oh, graciously able to just talk to those above him graciously, gently but bring a change in the culture there Not always easy, but there's a way through. We've got to speak up. It's so, so important. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this evil prospers when good men remain silent. It's that passivity. Maybe as Christians we think, I don't want to do that, don't want to do I don't want to do the bad anger, and then we just stay in the kind of vacuum. No, we need to move from that into the image of God. Righteous anger, speaking up. Secondly, we're the church. We're the body of Christ. And so we represent him, don't we? We're called to represent him. And if we don't express anger in a godly way about things that are wrong and about things that are dark, then we are representing Jesus wrongly. He's a truncated Jesus. You, you pair the claws of the Lion of Duty, turn him into a domesticated cat. You know, you, you allow darkness to encroach on God's earth. Now the Bible says this, that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Now you imagine a truth like a ceiling, truth. And the Bible says that the church is the pillar and the buttress. Now buttress are big stones that sit at the bottom of pillars that hold the pillar in place. And so what we see is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. What does that say? It says this. God has called the church to uphold the truth in society. As soon as the church stops doing that, and goes goes quiet and goes silent, the, the truth crumbles. In cultures, the truth crumbles. It's so important which is massive, massively important. We mustn't cave into satanic intimidation, whatever form it comes, <coughs> political correctness, opposition from others, accusations, insults, no, we keep, we know, <coughs> we like Jesus in the temple, because he was questioned, after he did it, they questioned his authority, they, wanted, they didn't like it, that will happen, but no, we know in God this is right. And then finally, is a God-given emotion. Yeah, it's from the heart of God, so it should be redeemed, not just gotten rid of. Issues worth getting angry about, abortion, it's bad. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's wrong. Now, some people say, well, it's not black and white. You now, some situations are complicated. I know that, but so are some situations about murder. You look at when an adult murders another adult, it's often not cut and dry. I think, oh, yeah, but they did, they did that to them. But it's still wrong. And the law still says it's wrong. And you've got to be able to say, yeah, we know it's not always simplistic, but it's wrong. And we've got to feel godly anger. Those young lives being terminated prematurely. Abuse of anyone vulnerable. The elderly, disabled, children. You've got to feel that. And you You got to feel that. Yeah? But like I say, you don't go to the old bailey with your stone in your hand. Okay? There's ways to express it. Okay? It's not a judgmental thing on the person. You, you hate the evil. You, you, hate, you hate the evil with a passion. And of course you feel angry towards a person but the whole time it never slips into I'm not like them or they're not like them. You know, it it mustn't slip into that. But there's anger that's there and that's right. Anything that leads children into sin. Anything that leads children into sin. Jesus said if you lead the little ones into sin it's better for you to tie a big millstone around your neck and jump into the ocean. That's a terrible thing. The promotion of homosexuality in schools, the sexualizing of children through uh, uh, designing of certain clothes for very young children that are m- much more adult in nature, that kind of thing, um, or other things about um, a low view of parenthood. Just this, this, this mentality which constantly exalts career over parenting. Nothing wrong with careers, but when exalting it over, making it seem like that's the parent in you, and it leads to a generation not being loved, nurtured, cared for as they ought. No, we must get angry about that. Let's get angry about it. Human trafficking and slavery. Anything which exploits and which dehumanises and which robs someone of their life and freedom. Financial oppression. Whether it's one person works for another person and that one doesn't pay him. Or whether it's rich nations exploiting poor nations. You should feel it in your gut. One thing that I'm just growing in now I've taken a long time to wake up to but by God's grace I am is the whole thing of environmentalism having a utilitarian approach to creation here's what i mean we're so clear that we don't worship creation because that's pantheism that creation isn't god but that god made creation but we forget that creation is sacred and instead we just say well it's just there for us and we will use it for whatever we like and we'll just you know we'll just use up all the resources and we won't beautify anything and we won't. and it's a total neglect of our calling by god to steward the earth it's wrong it's wrong, and i am just, you know, I've been guilty of it. I'm waking up to it. I thought, like, man, I need to feel this, you know. I've been called a steward. Cruelty and oppression of any kind. Our own personal sin. I urge you to ask God, God, make me feel angry about my own personal sin. Let an anger rise up in me. That will help me to fight it. And finally, dead religion. Dead, any, anything which poses as the life giving gospel, but at its heart is really about legalism and you know, self-righteousness, and oh, I'm better than you. Jesus hates it. It in him more anger than pretty much anything else with the Pharisees. We must hate it with a passion. In our own lives and in churches. How do we express anger? Well, prayer, number one. If you never shout when you pray, ask Jesus to help you. Yeah? Say, God, deal with me. I want to feel that. Never groan when you pray? Come on. We had a good old roar at the prayer meeting this afternoon. <laughs> was you there? Was it good for your soul? Yeah. It's good for my soul. Good for my soul. Speaking up for those without a voice. Some just have... No one's speaking up for them. I remember years ago in South London just seeing a mum and the way she spoke to a two-year-old on the street. I mean, it was just... I'd never heard anything like it in my life. And I thought, I've just got to say something. And it's delicate, isn't it? It's a parent and... But I just had to just try and come alongside and and encourage and just very gently but you think who's going to speak up for it? I say that would be alright no it won't what makes you think it will be alright? Non-violent demonstration using God-given influence in residence associations as a school governor as a community leader and finally evangelism let your anger at darkness Spur you on to tell people about Jesus, because yeah. <laughs> ultimately, at the end of the day, only Jesus can change someone. Yes. We know that, don't we? Yeah. We know that from our own experience. If you're here, maybe here, and you don't, you've never known the Lord. I tell you, now only Jesus can change you. Only the Holy Spirit, yeah. taking out that heart of stone and putting it in a heart of flesh. That's what you need. And I say that not as you know I know better than you. I'd say, listen, that's what's happened to me. It's, it's, it's God's truth. It's God's message. God in His mercy has not left us to figure it out by ourselves, not left us to, to self-improvement. Hallelujah! But He said, "You know what? I've got a miracle for you. I've got a miracle for you. Isn't he wonderful?" Now, here's what I want to do. We, it's, a, it's, a, it's, about, it's about time to finish. So, I was going to do Q and A, but I'm not going to do that now. It's been a long message, but I knew it would be, which is why we went uh, longer at the start. I think it's an important message and um, I think what would probably would be good I'm sure there's all sorts that people need to sort through talk through get prayer with about I mean this thing opens up a can of worms I, I know that I do know that all I would say is this I'm going to take the bread and the wine now I remove the can of Pepsi <laughs> um, by the way I subtly sorted the issue during the message so uh, <laughs> I'm to take the bread and wine now now I want to just say this that if there's anger in your heart towards anyone in this room please sort it before you take the bread and the wine. In fact Jesus said if you're going to go and you know, give an offering you're going to go and worship and you know someone I, like, if you feel like someone's got something against you he says go and put the offering down go and talk first and then go and carry on. Because it keeps us from religious delusion. Yeah, It sneaks in so easily. We've got to get our relationships right. It's very important. We do a lot of work with our kids on this, a lot of work. It's very important and praise God they're getting it. One of my children the other day came up to me and he said to me, when you spoke to me like that earlier, it really made me angry. I thought, praise God, I'm being corrected by my kid. But it's not rash, she, just, she thought about it, came back told she fronted me up with it. I said, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Said, okay. One of my children, someone in the school uh, drew a horrible picture of them and, and was saying horrible things about them. And she came home and she told us. And we said, "Well, Bible says you've got to confront her. You need to speak directly to her gently." She, so she said, "Okay." <laughs> she went the next day and she said, "I don't want to speak to you about that drawing you did." And the girl, probably not used to being corrected, well, just uh, walked off. She found her again in the afternoon and said, "No, look, we, I need to talk to you about this." I when, went again, went again. When you did that, uh, and uh, the other girl said, "I'm sorry." give you you know that's that's mature that's kingdom that's godly right <laughs> that's massive that is huge and so, and so so I just want to say that guys if, if you've got to get right please just do so it could be spouses it could be friends it could be just sort it if it's out of your hands you've tried to there's been nothing coming don't be captive to that okay you've tried okay sometimes you come take the bread and the wine Maybe there's situations going on, but you can't deal with it here. The person's not here. It's just not going to work. All I would say is, take the bread and wine, but resolve in your heart. I'm going to see to this, for the glory of God and for the sake of his kingdom. Because it matters. It really matters. It will not do to be out of relationship with people, especially in the church. Especially. And little things, because I tell you what, Satan, he'll be in on that. He loves that. He'll be in and it'll, it'll start playing with your head that's why that verse of Ephesians 4.26 do not let the sun go down on your anger the next verse says and do not give the devil a foothold you harbour stuff you harbour that you are giving Satan a foothold in your life it's very important guys so to just want to say we're going to sing one song take the bread and the wine but let's do business Amen? Yeah. Amen thanks so much for listening attentively you've really felt we've got somewhere tonight um, yeah let's, uh, let's stand shall we and just give Jesus the glory and, and then we'll we'll call it a day